Welcome to the College Baseball Nation podcast. I'm your host, John Peters, joined today by Kyle McKelvey and Ryan Faulkner. Later on the podcast, we have interviews with Western Kentucky starting pitcher Devin Turbrack and Campbell head coach Justin Hare. Let's talk college baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, we are fortunate to be blessed with the presence of the Rock and Ba third grade running runner up spelling bee almost champion Kyle McKelvey. I shouldn't share with any personal information with you ever, apparently. I think the reason why you were good at spelling in third grade is because your last name is impossible to spell. There's just like yeah. L's and E's <laughs> in all sorts of places. And that just had yeah. to prime you for a life of spelling. There's only one L. Everyone always puts the the E before the L before the E though, McClevy. They mm. they think I think they see the capital K in the middle and they're like, I have no idea how to spell anything after that. What like what do you, what is this? Kyle, there's only one L in McKelvey, but how many L's are there in polyester? There's one. That was a good transition. <laughs> Thank you. Polyester, <laughs> the word that knocks Kyle out of his third grade spelling bee. Mm. Uh, never forget how to spell that. Yep. It's a pretty easy word, but I, I didn't see it in third grade, I guess. So the only news going on in my life is that I have a brand new dinosaur t-shirt, and that's pretty exciting. Oh, hell yeah. Today we nice. took we took a photo of, of Caleb and me both uh, wearing matching dinosaur clothes. Caleb's my three month old son. For for those of you at home who don't know, so that's why a, a photo with me in dinosaur outfit and him in dinosaur outfit is really adorable. It's yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty cute. It's on uh, some Instagram. Someone. Yeah, Instagram. yeah. Okay, it's pretty cute. Kyle. Okay, yeah. The first thing that you said to me whenever we talked about that <laughs> that Juliet was, said. was uh, <laughs> our 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 kid is cuter. <laughs> no, our dinosaur outfits are cuter. Is what I said. But uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your support and kindness, Kyle. It's what gets me through the day. You're welcome. Let's head over to our top story. And our top story today is some scheduling news. In 2025, the SEC is going to be a new-look conference with Oklahoma and Texas joining as the SEC moves to 16 teams. The old scheduling model of West and East is not going to work anymore. And it was reported by Kendall Rogers that the SEC will be moving to two permanent opponents and eight rotating opponents. Kyle, what do you think of this transition for the SEC? I like the idea. They're talking about this for football as well with like a three, six, six model, like three permanent and then six rotating. The difference for football is the like, so that's like a nine game schedule, but for baseball, it's 10 series that you have to balance. And it's a little bit harder to. You can't really change that too, right? Like you can't go up from 10. That's a lot. That's 30 games already. Yeah. That's, it's a majority of your schedule, which it should be. Um, but it's it's just a strange number. Like I was thinking about it, I was like, so you have the two permanent and then eight, and you're not like you can't physically get eight new teams the next year, and so there'll be some overlap. So like, I don't know, maybe two, two out of three years are guaranteed some yeah. like the same opponents. Like people are complaining right. about. I don't know. We we put out a uh, our like suggestion for for the, the for the pairings. People were complaining about it, but really, like you're still going to play those teams two out of three years anyway. Yeah, I think the toughest thing for me is what they're going to do with some of those schools that are right on the border with 
Texas and Oklahoma. So I'm thinking, you know, the AMs, the Arkansas, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you know, the teams are kind of in the in the West of the SEC as it is. Because when you think about Arkansas, for instance, Arkansas has at this point some pretty fairly established rivalries inside the SEC. You know, I think Arkansas mm-hmm. doesn't want to lose out on games against LSU or Ole Miss or even, like pretty much anyone in the SEC West. Arkansas has has some beef with, right? But then Arkansas and Texas, that's a tale as old as time. So it feels like in some ways you got to pair up Arkansas and Texas. But when Texas is coming in, you know, they have OU as a permanent rival in the Big 12. They had AM as a rival. So it gets really messy right there. I think there's a lot of possible combinations for some of those teams on the West side of the conference in terms of who their permanent rivals are going to be. I can almost guarantee you that no matter what happens, there's at least one fan base that's going to feel like they were robbed of their, their best rivalry. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just going through it. It looks like Texas and AM both are Arkansas's like third and fourth most played opponents. Like, it looks like LSU and Mississippi State and Ole Miss are the most. And then it goes AM and Texas. So maybe it's just like a history of, of a lot of success that's kind of, that's, uh, I'm basically being the cream of the crop in the Southwest Conference, those two schools. Yeah. But, but it feels like AM or it feels like Texas is guaranteed schedule is OU and AM just because I, I think people want to see Texas play LSU every year. People want to see Texas play Arkansas every year. So I think there's I think it's gonna be really hard. I think I think yeah. what I'm also learning from this is that I think a lot of schools don't like Arkansas or LSU. Yeah. Like I think there's a lot of bad blood between those two schools and all the other schools in the conference. You're right. Like, because they've been good, right? And you can say the same thing probably for several other schools in the SEC. Ole Miss fans, we're not saying that that you're, you haven't been good. We know you won the national championship last year at Mississippi State. We know you won it the year before. But uh, Arkansas, LSU, it feels like has, they have a lot of rivalries that are are possibly we're going to lose some, but we'll probably gain some too as Texas and Oklahoma join the conference. Yeah, just for fun, I saw this this comment on on Reddit yesterday before it went down that um, there was like someone said that they could do a 5-5-5 five, five, five schedule, so like five permanent and then five rotating and then the other five so that it's all 15 like you play everyone every other year so that's kind of nice but i was trying to mess with it and it I, I easily filled out arkansas and lsu's um five opponents and everyone else is hard so um it, like you have to like literally have to have a math it. major to be able to do <laughs> to be able to put it together conference scheduling because it is not an easy yeah, task it's not easy before we move on to the rest of the podcast, I do think it is worth mentioning, not quite the level of our first top story, but again, we have midweek upsets galore. And I think what we're seeing is right before conference play gets going for a lot of conferences, you're seeing uh, just maybe some teams losing focus. We had NC State lose to Elon, UCF knocked off Florida State, UNCW over ECU, even that Coastal-Campbell matchup, Coastal took the edge. T- uh, knocked off Campbell, Jacksonville State over Ole Miss, Texas State over TCU, Wichita State over OU, Nevada over Oregon State. My goodness, I've said yeah. so many words in a row. <laughs> it's just ridiculous <laughs> how many upsets there were in the midweek. So uh, maybe some teams losing focus before they get some uh, of their first taste at conference play. Yeah, or if you want a positive spin it, maybe getting some rest, like giving their guys some rest and not starting some of the main guys. I'm not sure. I, I know TCU has had some some injury like an injury bug bite them lately or maybe a sickness um so i don't know it's yeah. interesting and texas state w- winning record against ranked teams a year ago they they might be on pace to do something similar so it's not an easy place to play someone who did win their last game last night was uh western kentucky over austin p 8 to 2 
Oh, maybe let's take a, a quick break before we have an interview with Devin Turbrack, the Western Kentucky starting pitcher who over the weekend threw a no-hitter, the first complete game, solo no-hitter in Western Kentucky history. He is the Conference USA Pitcher of the Week, as well as the Dick Hauser Pitcher of the Week. That's up next on the podcast. Next up on the podcast, we're welcoming in Devin Turbrack from Western Kentucky. Devin, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. So obviously, we the reason we're so excited to have you on is you had a really special individual performance over the weekend. We are talking with the Conference USA Pitcher of the Week. Devin, you threw a no-hitter, 14 strikeouts, one walk, just two above the minimum, and a 3-0 win for Western Kentucky over South Dakota State. I want to start, though, with the end, because that ninth inning, you struck out the side. So walk us through that ninth inning, because that's a pretty cool way to finish up a no-hitter. Yeah, honestly, the last inning, I was just, I mean, if they would have grounded out, like, perfect through less pitches, but I was just going in to try to fill up the zone. And I think they're, like, after losing the two, I mean, they were a good team, but I think after losing two and then that last inning getting no-hit, they were, like, morale was probably pretty low. I mean, I know I probably would have been ready and, to head back home. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I just tried competing, throwing strikes and being the best I could missing barrels. And then ended up, I think the first dude, I might've got him and three or four pitches on the next dude, I think three or four again. And then that last kid, I, I had him O2, I think. And I threw a like pitching coach called a fastball and it was basically a fastball up, I think. I basically just tried throwing it as hard as I could, and I kind of blacked out at the time. And then <laughs> um, after that, he called a changeup because he said he was trying to give me a fastball so I could try to throw it as hard as I could. And I was like, all right, I'm doing it. And then he <laughs> said after that, he's like, all right, I'm calling a changeup. So I just threw the changeup as, as basically as hard as I could and tried to make it as good as possible in the best spot and worked out great. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but coming into the week in South Dakota State was top 50 in the country in terms of avoiding the strikeout. So I think you added quite a bit of strikeouts to their team total on the year with your 14K performance. I didn't know that, but whenever Friday they came in and the leadoff hitter first pitch hit a home run, I was like, oh, this could be a fun weekend. And then, <laughs> I mean, I knew I had my work cut out for me on Sunday and then I was ready to compete and go do my best as good, best as I could. I, I think you absolutely did that. Uh, I, I also want to know, I know baseball is a, a superstitious sport. Was there any point in, in the game where the dugout was like, okay, we're not going to mention this. We're going to, we're going to leave him alone. We're going to let him do his own thing. Or uh, what were the vibes like? Was anybody kind of getting on their notes? Um, I was talking to one of the lefty pitchers on the team lane and he was saying, he's just glad no like freshman made a, like no feel moment and where they said like hey he's got a no hitter going because <laughs> and then after that he was like said everyone in the dugout was like looking around like smirking and they were just like is this really about to happen and then he said like everyone there they jogged down in between innings to the right field or the left field pole and back just stay warm and he said that while they're all running that they're all looking back and forth like what is going on right now and then <laughs> After that, he said they came back in for the last inning, and after the second strikeout, they knew. I mean, no one said it, but they were all knowing that something special was about to happen. And then I was talking to the shortstop, Drew Record. He just transferred in at semester, and 
he was saying that from the fourth inning, he was looking at the scoreboard and he was like, Oh, Lord, there's no hitter going on. And then <laughs> I mean, I was, I knew there was a no hitter, but I just didn't like, I wasn't trying to look at the scoreboard to think about it too much. Cause every time, like if I do have a no hitter going into the fifth or sixth inning, I just like sit there and I'm like thinking about it. And I'm like, Oh God, this ain't good. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I mean, I just tried avoiding looking at the scoreboard as much as possible as I could. And hopefully, I mean, it worked. Yeah, when in the day did you realize that you had your your ace stuff? You know, was it first thing in the morning you woke up, just really good night's sleep? Was it you know, getting out to the field, warming up? Was it the fifth inning? You know, at what point in the game you're like, I'm feeling it? Honestly, not going to lie, I did not feel good that morning. And <laughs> kind of felt sick. And I was like, this might not be a good day. And then I, like, my arm was kind of still sore because I threw a bullpen, like, a couple days earlier because we were supposed to play a doubleheader. Or we were because it was rain in the forecast and they didn't know if we were playing a doubleheader or what. So my like weekly routine got thrown off. And honestly, I'd like arm was kind of sore still. And I was like, well, I'm just going to fight through it. And then ended up fighting through it and had decent stuff. Maybe you need to change your weekly routine now moving <laughs> forward then. What's that, what's that morning of routine look like? I mean, was, were you doing anything that sort of shook it off, helped you feel a little bit better? How do you prep for a game like that? Um, my morning routine, normally I wake up, make an omelet and drink some coffee with it and then go to the field whenever the coaches need us to be there. But my family was in town and they wanted to go to this breakfast spot that I took them to uh, last year, the year before, and they loved it. So I was like, all right, I'll go with you. And I woke and there was a time change too. And I woke up earlier and I was, I felt really tired. And then we went to that breakfast place and I was just talking to my family. And then I was like, all right, I'm gonna go to the field now. And they're like, all right, good luck. Have a good day. And I mean, so, I mean, my whole morning routine got thrown off whack, but, I mean, I guess I need to start doing that, though. Yeah, and they need to hang a photo of you in that breakfast place, sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Every was, single game. It was – I found the place a couple – it was two years ago, my first year. It was, like, Just Love Coffee Cafe. It's – I mean, I thought it was a coffee place, but apparently they got really good breakfast. I've got an, I've got another question for you about your time on the bump there. I, I'm really impressed with pitchers that have a five-pitch arsenal just because you're able to do pretty much whatever your coach needs from you. When you're going a full game, pitching these eight or nine innings, do you sort of rotate between what pitch you're emphasizing or do you hammer all five throughout the whole nine innings? Honestly, I just, whatever the pitching coach calls, like Nap, he's really good at his job and what he does. He's got all the scouting for us, so he just calls it based off of that. And I mean, I just go off what he wants me to throw and try to just throw it as best as I can. Like if he calls curveball in a certain spot, I'll try to throw it there and get it and execute it do you have a favorite for him to to give you to work off of like when he calls you like yes this is my time to shine or um i mean well like my changeup grip i like my last outing i had it and my change was kind of like it was better than it was before like before i could barely throw it for a strike and I, well, I mean i could throw it for a strike but it was just kind of look like it would move like barely a couple inches and then i changed like a little bit of like where my fingers were placed on it and it made it like I mean, obviously, but a lot better. And I was basically just trying out the whole new change of grip last game, and I mean, it worked. <laughs> I want to talk and, a little bit about your your battery mate, Camden Ross, because I think one thing, like anytime there's no hitter, right? No hitters aren't aren't done alone. We we call it an individual performance, but you have a defense behind you, and you have a catcher catching that whole game for you. But Camden Ross, true freshman, he also had an RBI early in the game that gave you a little bit of a cushion, a little bit of a lead to work with. He's also uh, four years, your junior, I think. Uh, so the, quite the age gap. Like, can you like t 
tell me about what's what it's like working with with Camden and uh, what this meant to for the the two of you together. I mean, honestly, I'm pretty sure the first outing I had Ty Batusich, and then the next two I had Ricky. So that was the first time I threw to Camden, and well, the first time I threw to him in a game, and then, I mean. I figured he's good, but I didn't like it was his first time catching me. So I was like, I guess we'll see how this goes. And but I mean, I'm a I'm 23 and I think he's 18 or 19. So, I mean, there's obviously an age difference. And I mean, I think it's good because I was like anywhere from around the zone to like a couple balls off. And he didn't have to like move like his arms like super far to try to go like block or anything. So, I mean, it just like helped him catch and get like skills and just like experience catching like a just pitcher that's around the zone because I mean it's a lot easier to catch around the zone than it is like a dude that's really wild and I think it just helped him out a lot can we recap a couple things here so so far you've told us you got one hour less of sleep because of the time change you're (laughs) pitching to a catcher you had never pitched to in a game before you change up your your breakfast routine you change up your your weekly bullpen routine like I mean what was your focus like? <laughs> I think I did that. It feels like you could have been thinking about anything at this point. Honestly, I think that could have been what all like played into why I didn't feel good or anything. And then I was basically just going out, try to throw as best as I could normally. And my goal every time is throw a perfect game, which I almost had it, but I hit a dude and walked a guy. But I mean, that's I think that's every pitcher's goal every time did they go out. And I mean, I normally have fourth or fifth inning, no hitters. Well, like I didn't, not normally, but like every now and then I'll see and I'll be like, oh, I have no hitter going. And then then it's over that next inning after I think about it. Yeah. And then, I mean, other than that, it, it was good. My routine got messed up, but I think I might have to start messing up my routine and get my body a new stimulus. Yeah, keep keeping you loose. I want to talk about a quote from your, your Western Kentucky player profile, which is the biggest thrill in sports is getting to do a PFP in a game. So second inning, I think his first guy up grounds out to the pitcher, walk us through that. And then what's the, like your PFP highlight in your career? Um, Honestly, I might have to change that to throw a no hitter now, but um, <laughs> uh, so the, it was a one that I like, I caught, wasn't it? Because there was a, there was two. It was one to the third first baseman, and then I went ran over. But the one that I caught, it was the one three. I I seen it was like softly hit, and I thought it was going to first base, so I like thought I had time. And I normally like if it's a thing over like a play over there to the left, I normally do a little spin so I can like just turn and have my momentum going that way. And then I seen whenever I looked, I was like, oh, it's like kind of close. So I went and got it. And the whole time I was running, I had my like I had my hands in my glove trying to grab it, and the ball was just bobbling around. Trying, I couldn't ever get a grip on it. And then eventually, I was able to like finally corral it in my glove, and then like, I finally shovel tossed it to Lucas over there at first. And it was it was honestly a bang bang play. That could have been a game changer. Yeah, it could have been ruled an infield single. I could have could have ruined the whole thing right there. <laughs> yeah, I could have threw it away and made an error, so it would have been a no hitter still. <laughs> <laughs> As a, uh, so also on your, your player profile, uh, we see that your hobbies are hunting, fishing, snowboarding, golf. So if not baseball, if you had to be competitive in one of those things, like what's the thing that, that you're going the farthest in if you're competing in some other sport or activity? Either, I mean, golf, I mean, everyone think everyone probably says they're good, but I mean, I'm, <laughs> I can drive, but most of the other stuff I can barely do. 
like yeah. pitching or like chipping. I feel all. like that's common for baseball players. Like they got the strength, they can hit the, the ball a couple hundred yards, but maybe the finesse is not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the chippings and all that. Like I mean, I can every now and then I'll find a like a blind squirrel, I'll find a nut every now and then. And then um I mean I can hit the green sometimes and then I mean sometimes I'd send it to the water. But if I had to choose one, I'd probably go with snowboarding. I mean I'm halfway decent at that. And I started I think sophomore year in high school, me and one of my friends and his brother and one of our other friends, we were just like, Hey, let's go try out snowboarding. So we're like, all right, let's do it. And then first three weeks we went, it hurt. Like I was so sore. And this was like February, right before high school baseball season started. And it, it was just a pain every morning I woke up, I was hurting. And then after that, like the years after we started going to Colorado and hitting like jumps and rails and stuff. And it was really fun. I think I was halfway decent, but not as good as those people that live in Colorado and go every day. How do you find time to go? How do you find time to go do some of those things while you're up in Western Kentucky? Or do you get to go hunt and fish and snowboard and golf and whatever? Or is it, um, is it all baseball? Well, in the fall, when like I had a couple days to go golf, but whenever I go hunting, it's basically on winter break and stuff whenever I go home. And then fishing, when me and my roommate, we went off to one creek one day. We had a off day and then we just went fishing for probably an hour or two and we or it was more like 45 minutes <laughs> we didn't catch anything we're like all right i'm going back and then snowboarding <laughs> i haven't gone and it was like a year and a half i haven't gone but i mean first chance i gave i'm gonna go but i didn't want to happen to go this year or last year and happen to get hurt and be like have well, to explain to coach why you're not available for the spring <laughs> yeah that would have been terrible <laughs> All right. So the last question we have for you is, is just the simple why Western Kentucky and you you're a fifth year player. You probably could have transferred out. You could have done you could have chosen a lot of different schools, uh, but you chose Western Kentucky. So what was special about it for you? Um, Out of Juco, it was I mean, it was close to home. It wasn't eight, 10 hours away. I mean, I didn't have a problem going four hours away or I mean, honestly, now I mean, thinking about it, I would have went anywhere that I could have played. And I just wanted to go somewhere I would have the best chance of competing with the skill levels and playing, have the most opportunity to play. And I mean, I think I picked the right place. And um, at some, like last year, whenever we lost our coaches, the basically, I mean, the whole team was probably contemplating like what to do. We had, I had a few guys that were like, I'm transferring and then they hit the portal. And I mean, I heard like some of my friends, the ones that I met here that like don't play baseball, I was talking to them. I was like, I mean, I'm not even going to deal with it. I'll just stay here because, I mean, I have all these friends here. I know, like, everywhere around this place. This place is, like, I mean, been home for me for the past three years, and I love it here. I mean, it's good. And then we got – I heard we were, who we were getting for the coaches, and, I mean, I played Coach Forney and at JUCO. They came in. They were ranked number one, and I think we were ranked three or five or something, and then they left, and we lost 20 to nothing. <laughs> and then <laughs> – um, I mean, I knew who he was from then, and then I heard about Iowa Western and how Coach Rarden was. And, I mean, I knew they were both good coaches, so I was excited to come back. And, I mean, it's working out really well. It, it surely is 13-4 and four starts of the year for Western Kentucky. Conference USA play, play starts next week against Middle Tennessee. Devin, thanks so much for joining us, and best of luck with the rest of your season. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And welcome back to the podcast. 
Next up is 10 picks in five minutes. We have 10 series that we've given each other off the air, five apiece. And we have 30 seconds to pick the winner of those series on the air. Kyle, I think we had more trouble this week than we have had any other week in terms of narrowing down the 10 series to pick because so, so many good series. This is like the holy grail of college this baseball week. this weekend. Yeah, SEC play starting up. Other conferences have already kind of started up. I think it's like Big Twelve plays already started. Yeah, Sun Belt. Yeah, we're getting we're getting it all right now. So Big Twelve. Yep, I love it. Big West. All right, so five minutes on the clock. I'm first up to give you a series. I'll do my best to actually go in order this time, so I don't throw (laughs) you off. Let's hit the ground running. First up for you is Oklahoma State traveling to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. Give me Texas Tech here. Um, it's so hard to win at Lubbock. Um, I I like their offense so far this year. Their pitching staff has not done has not been too bad either. Um, yeah, I think I just it's Oklahoma State and Tech are two of the like the top teams in the in the Big Twelve so far this year. So it's it's interesting to get this matchup so early on. But since it's in Lubbock, give me the Red Raiders. Now you get uh, South Carolina at Georgia. I'm going Gamecocks in this one, which I don't love taking the road team in this because I think Georgia has had a fairly solid start to the year. But uh, I like South Carolina. I like what they bring to the table on Friday night. I think that Will Sanders is uh, one of the best pitchers in the SEC. I think that with the offense uh, still, even though they've been tested a little bit, uh, still guys, like three guys with 500 plus Woba, I think that South Carolina offense will get be just enough to get the job done here. Ole Miss at Vanderbilt. Yeah, this was tough. I uh, I was doing a, like a deeper dive into Vanderbilt last night and 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 like SEC play or SEC teams since like a couple weeks ago. Vanderbilt has struggled offensively the last few weeks and Ole Miss is pretty well rounded overall so I, um it's tough cuz it's on the road but go ahead and give me Ole Miss here. Don't let the Rebs get hot. Yeah, I know. I know. They're our number three ranked team. This is a, a top 10 matchup that's really cool. Um, next for you, a, a spicy rivalry in the Southwestish LSU going to AM. Southwestish. I don't know if the folks in Baton Rouge <laughs> would appreciate being called part of the Southwest. I said ish. And <laughs> I don't think people in College Conference. Station would say that. <laughs> Southwest is Conference. Is, All right. I have 15 that. seconds left. So let's say LSU. <laughs> Uh, LSU's pitching is incredibly dominating. I don't think AM's offense has put together a complete weekend performance really all year. I don't think they they'll get the job done against Skeens and Little and Hurd and etc. Uh, Southern Miss at Texas State. Some Sunbelt action. I um I like Southern Miss here on the road. Also, um I I like Texas. I mean I like Southern Miss. They're getting their pitching staff back in order. Um. And they haven't had the the best start to the year. I mean, they had a lot of hype coming in, but um, their ERA of four nine three is good for a hundredth in the country right now. But their FIP is a little bit lower than that, so that means their their defense, like their pitching staff, is like like doing better. Like it's it, it's fine. Um, so yeah, go ahead and give me Southern Miss on the road. You got TCU going to OU. I'm noticing a pattern with my picks. I don't like it. This is another, my third straight road team that I am picking. TCU learned. <laughs> over Oklahoma. TCU is one of the biggest enigmas, I think, of the year. They played really well to start the season. And since then, they have really not hit well. 
they really haven't hit consistently. I think Oklahoma is on the opposite trajectory. They've been playing better and better week over week. So I think I wouldn't be shocked if I get this one wrong, put TCU on upset alert in this series. But for now, I'm going with the, the Horned Frogs. You get our uh, our rankings, darling, Boston College shooting up to number 25, traveling to Florida State, also top 25 team. Yeah, this is a this is a pretty fun matchup when when Florida State is batting. I mean, Boston College's ERA is 45th in the country. Florida State's Woba is 56th in the country. And then the other setup is not not that great, um, like when Boston College is batting. Um, and I like it's it's hard for pitching to travel. I, mean, I think we said this last year that pitching does travel, but it's so early in the year and it's a cold weather team. It's been on the road for so long. Um, I like Florida State at home here. I know they just had that loss last night, but it's a it's a midweek loss. Um, next for you is Long Beach State at UC San Diego. Yeah, this is an interesting one. UC San Diego was just elevated from being a really really good Division two school a couple of years ago, joining the Big West, and we're seeing I, I'm going to say it, we're seeing a resurgence of the Big West. This is uh, Long Beach State team. It's in our top fifty. They joined UC Santa Barbara and UC Irvine in our top fifty. Give me the dirtbags on the road in this one. Yep, that's my fourth straight road team that I've picked. <laughs> I've, uh... And uh, you get Oregon at Washington State to wrap up year five. Yeah, and this is another one of those rankings, darlings. Washington State is, has shot up. You know, I, they went from unranked to 31st for taking that um, road series at Oregon State. I like them to ride that momentum, and Oregon's like falling off a little bit. They, they're not very good at home, but who knows how they'll be on the road. Maybe they'll be okay. They, they actually have the number two strength of schedule so far this year. Oregon does. Um, yeah, the RPI loves them right now. Yeah. But I like riding a hot hand. Give me Washington State at home. Right mm, on time. For you, just in time. Uh, for you, Virginia going to NC State. Yeah, okay. I'm going to pick five road teams. Look what you made me do, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking Virginia in this one. Uh, uh, NC State was... See, I last in the last podcast I said that Miami dominated NC State in those first two games. I slightly misremembered. Miami went up eight nothing in that first game. Then NC State tied it eight eight, and then Miami still won. Regardless, NC State just dropped that series on the road at Miami. Virginia just showed us that they really belong in the top epi- the upper echelon of teams. I think Virginia will get the job done here. Bam. South Carolina, LSU, TCU, Long Beach, UVA, Road Warriors. That's what Team John is this weekend. And I've got Texas Tech, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, Florida State, and Washington State. Team, home team. Next up on the podcast, a quick segment of Over Under. We just talked about Texas A&M and they're hosting LSU this weekend. Man, that's a, a tough start to SEC play, but I mean, it can only get easier from there, right? You start with the number one team in the country. Surely. It has to get easier. Oh, Wait. A week after, they go at Tennessee, currently top five team in the country, and then they host Ole Miss, another top five team in the country. Kyle, over under on three and a half wins out of those nine games. Which direction are you taking for the Aggies? It's just tough. Those those three teams are really good. I like If they had Tennessee at home and one of the other two on the road, I would say, yeah, over. But like, uh, go ahead and give me the under for that one. I don't know. I That's a tough one. Yeah, I'm going to go over. I'm going to go with four. I think they. I think if they win one of those series, it's going to be Ole Miss, just because it's at home. Yeah. And maybe Ole Miss's lack of pitching depth gets exposed, question mark. I mean, maybe by then in three weeks, Ole Miss will have had some 
arms emerge as real not just arms that have been good in the preseason and non-conference play, but arms that will be competitive in the SEC. I really think that LSU and Tennessee have too much pitching for the AM offense. Um, in a year where we're seeing a ton of home runs, AM is just is not seeing the ball right. Uh, the AM offense is improving, so maybe maybe AM ends up sneaking by winning two of these series, ends up closer to 500. But I'm thinking four. G- give me four wins for the Aggies out of this. And I think four and five in this stretch would be, would be successful. I think Aggie fans would take mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I mean, so let's see. AM won the series on the road at LSU last year. So maybe uh, LSU's looking to get some revenge. I don't know. AM's had their number in the last few years, it seems like. I don't think LSU so, cares about that. I think LSU just no. knows they're the best team in the country and they yep. would play anyone anywhere and feel like they're going to crush them. That's what my attitude, that's what I think LSU is right now. Yeah. Yeah. AM's offense has improved, but I don't think it's enough for, for this LSU pitching staff. Yeah. I think, I think give me the under just, but just because I don't, I don't know if they can win that series at home against Ole Miss. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they go one and two in all three of these series. Which would be fine. Like that's because these teams are all significantly better, like a step better. I think going like not getting swept in any of them is kind of what you need for staying in contention, right? Yeah. This is wild. You were talking about this that AM could be a top ten team in the country and lose all three of these series. And right. it's really hard to know because when you're playing top five teams in the country, you know, you, you can look like kind of foolish, right? And so we'll see. AM has a huge test. I think if they come out of this with three, four, even five, I mean, five wins, that would be huge. Uh, I think that could set them up really nicely for possibly hosting a regional. If they get swept in one or two of these series, I think we're going to be thinking about AM really, like we projected them in our first projection as a two seed. Next up on the podcast, we welcome in Campbell head coach, Justin Hare. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, John, I appreciate it, man. And thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate what you guys do for uh, college baseball and appreciate you reaching out to me and and uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about our program. 12 and three start to the year for the Campbells and not the easiest of schedules by any means. Those are 12 hard earned wins. Talk a little bit about your general impressions. What's what's different about this team than years past? What's What's special about this group of guys so far? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, anybody that's followed our program over the last five or six years, um, <laughs> the the most glaring difference is that we're actually off to a good start through the first 14, 15, 16 games. I think um, like three out of the last five years, we've started seven and nine. One of those years, we were eight and eight. One year was 10 and six. So um, we tend to challenge ourselves early with the, with the scheduling. Um uh, but getting off to a really good start um, obviously is nice. And so that's a little bit different, but I think some of that is just the makeup of the team. We've got some veterans um, in the lineup every single day that have kind of been through the fire, been to two or three regionals. Um, and and our coaching staff, I think, did a better job this preseason of of really trying to hammer down on some of the things that that make us who we are from an identity standpoint and and really try to play into that a lot. And so I think we hit the ground running um, and, and and challenged ourselves in some inner squads early to get us closer to maybe a midseason type form um, out of the shoot than, than we've been in, in years past. Yeah, I love that you mentioned this hot start because Despite maybe, like like you're saying, not always having the hottest start. Since 2018, 35-plus wins for every season. That was a, a complete season. So it's got to feel like the uh, the ceiling this year. I mean, last year, what, 41 wins? 
Uh, it feels like this Campbell team is on pace to probably win a lot of games. And I would say from a, the outside perspective, this offense has to be one of the most entertaining offenses to watch in the country. You mentioned some veteran guys who specifically is contributing to the fact that you have top 10 in run production. You're averaging over 10 runs per game. This you know, kind of absurd offensive stat. Let's, let's, let's point out the all-time record runs per game is just over 12 runs per game. So you're not that far off from the all-time <laughs> record right there. So talk me through offensive approach a little bit and who's making some key contributions for you. Sure. Overall, from an offensive standpoint, and and this has kind of been a, a a little bit of a rallying cry for us, you know, for for the last I don't know however long. I mean, heck, I've been here for 15 years, and and we've had some really good offenses over the course of time. And last year we had a really really good offense, and and uh, you know we're fortunate to have some good players. But I think the the biggest piece um, offensively is is we what we what we call is a hard to kill offense right like we want to be able to have as many tools at our disposal as we possibly can we want to be able to drive the ball out of the yard we want to be able to short game we want to be able to put pressure on you um, by getting on base and being able to steal some bases and 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 take the extra base going first to third scoring from second doing a lot of maybe unconventional things um, besides just sitting back and hitting that three run homer. The three run homer is great. We all want it. We, we, I mean, we'll, we'll take as many of them as we can get, but, but there's, there's nights that you're going to face big time arms that you've got to be able to do some different things and, and make the defense uncomfortable. And so that hard to kill mantra is, is kind of something that we've wrapped our, our minds and heads and, and identity around um, from an offensive standpoint. Um, can we talk a little bit? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I want to talk a little bit about your pitching staff too, because I don't want to sell them short because I, I I love the fact that Campbell has had legitimate first round type draft, draft pot prospects in terms of some of the arms that you've had over the last couple of years. You have another one of them again this year. Can you talk a little bit about what's it like being able, knowing that you can score 10 runs, but knowing you also has, have a guy out there that can go six, seven innings and maybe only you know put up five or six zeros throughout that that time? Yeah, having guys like Cade Keeler and Ty Cummings and and some of those guys on our staff last year, Tommy Harrington. It's funny, like Tommy Harrington was the 36th overall pick last year and as a draft eligible sophomore. And had they not pushed the draft back to July, he would have also been on this staff um, again, right? Him and Keeler and Ty Cummings um, out of our bullpen, Cade Boxrucker, some guys with some really, really high end stuff all kind of came in in the same class. Seth Johnson in 2019 was the 40th overall pick. So we've had um, some some really high level arms. And 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 I think part of that is our developmental process. But man, it, it is. I was just meeting with Coach Robinson, just talking about how we can continue to improve um, on the mound with with the stuff that we have and leverage those guys at a, at a higher clip. Um because we do have some guys with some really good stuff and we do have some guys with some punch out stuff. Um, and, and certainly for us to be able to get to where we want to go, which is, which is to try to continue to, to push us to Omaha, we have to be able to match up on the mound in, in 2018, we lost, um, we got eliminated in the Georgia regional by Duke. We blew a big lead that we had after like a two hour lightning delay. We literally just ran out of like quality bullets out of the bullpen and 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 we we stood in the office when we got back, man, and it felt like we had gotten our hearts ripped out. And in the you know the first region we've been to in four or five years, and and we just decided then like 
for us to be able to get to where we want to go, we have to develop arms at a better clip and a higher rate. And so we've dedicated a lot of time, effort, energy, money, um, education to to doing a better job with those arms day in and day out. And and we've certainly seen you know some of the fruits of that labor uh, kind of come home. By our count, you have 31 former players who've signed professional contracts, moved on to the next level. And so I want to hear a little bit more about this development. Like, what's the recruiting pitch? Why Campbell? Because you're obviously in a really talent-rich area. There's a lot of schools in the region that that these guys have to choose from. What's the advantage Campbell has over some of these neighboring schools? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost is is that we we know exactly who we are, and we're not trying to be anybody different. We're not we're we're not NC State. We're not in the middle of of downtown Raleigh. We're not bright lights, big city. We, we talk about our place in, in a way, uh, you know, in terms of um, we call it development without distraction, right? We're, we're located, we've got, you know, through 3,500 undergrads, 5,000 total students. Um, we're in the middle of tobacco and cotton fields, about 45 minutes from downtown Raleigh. And, and there is no main street, right? There is no um, big time college football. There is no, um, there, there is no bright lights, big city. And, and so instead of running away from that, we embrace that, right? We want to be a baseball factory. We want to see how good of baseball players and people that we can develop. And so we lead with that, that that's a really important piece is like, Hey, if, if, if you want to be good at, at chasing tail, if you want to be good at partying on Friday night, if you want to be good at going to a tailgate for a, for a, football game with 75,000 people at it. That's fine. That's there's a time and a place for that. That's just not, that's just not this time. And it's not at this place and that's okay. Just don't come here. Right. Like, and, and, and we're fine with that because there's millions of talented young men out there, young baseball players out there um, that want to get developed and want to be a part of something special and want to be, you know, part of, of, of getting developed at the highest level without having those distractions of a main street and a Thursday night drink special and, and all of those things um, that go with, with some of those college experiences. I'm, I'm not saying that those are bad college experiences. I want our guys to have a college experience, no doubt, but I want their college to experience experience to revolve around being the best player, being the best person and having the best college baseball experience that they can have because that window is so short for them to, to play college baseball at the highest level. I want to call back to the hard to kill mantra because I think that is just such an excellent mantra. And obviously it's a mantra you try to instill in your players, but I'm thinking about the coaching staff too. And where, where does this philosophy come from and how does this philosophy, is it relevant to you in your life and your, your job as a coach? Is is this a philosophy that you you know came up with in the shower one day? Is this something that's been passed <laughs> along from your coaching pedigree? Like where, where did this come from? No. So, so there's, um there's a guy who, who used to be a green beret, a retired green beret a guy named Tim Kennedy. He was MMA fighter. He was Green Beret, special ops, like, and he's written some books and um, done some things in UCF, UFC and, and, and some, some different stuff. And I just kind of started following this guy. And that's something that he talks about all the time. It's like, just like trying to make yourself hard to kill, like, like 
you know, no one is coming to save you, right? Like no one, like it's you versus whoever is out there, whether that's in combat, whether that's in the octagon, whether that's in business, like, like no one is coming to save you. And so that really kind of resonated with me and, and then started to resonate with our staff as you're trying to build something special as, as you're trying to maybe go against the grain a little bit without a, you know, quote unquote name brand attached to the front of your Jersey you, you you do have to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Nobody's coming to write us a 15 or $20 million check and say, build the Taj Mahal. No one's saying like, hey, here's the top 100 recruits in the country because you're in the most prime location. Like we literally, it's us versus everyone else, man. And and so I think that that our coaching staff buys into that. I think that that our players buy into that. It's more than just an offensive philosophy. But I think, from our offensive standpoint, it, it really fits because we, we don't want to quit. We we're not going to run from a fight. We're going to we're we're going to jump into the fire and and fight our way through it. And um, and I think if if that can resonate through each one of our guys and through each one of our staff members, um, that uh, man, like how is that not a how is that not the best mantra to live by um, in everything that you do? It's definitely permeated your team. Last we updated our stats, you were number one in the country in on-base percentage, nearly uh, nearly a 500 on-base percentage, which feels like almost a, a an internal glitch. But when you're batting over 300 as a team, uh, I'm curious, what's a successful at bat? I mean, I, I think you hear about you know number of pitches taken, swinging at strikes. Take, I, there's a, a thousand ways to define a successful at bat. You know, exit velocity, whatever it might be. What's the what's the definition of success for you or, and your players? Yeah, we talk more in in production probably, um, you know, than than anything else, and and we kind of define it. We try to define it in in like ten like 10, 10 things, right? Like you can get walked or hit by pitch. Um, we're big on the hit by pitch side of things, uh, you know, as as kind of a, a program staple. You can get a hit, you can drive in a run, you can execute a, a bunt, uh, you can hit a ball hard. Hard line drive, hard ground ball, elevated fly ball, deep fly ball. Um, and we kind of have a grading system with that. Um, you know, you can execute a move them. You can execute a... Uh, um, you know, a situation where you're moving a guy from second to third with no outs. Um, there's there's nine or ten of those things that that we just try to try to keep track of. And uh, I, I heard a, a really good thing probably six or seven years ago. Maybe Dan McDonald or w- was talking at uh, at the ABA a- ABCA convention and was talking about how they celebrate like the mundane. They celebrate like like that ground ball RBI two strike six hopper to the four hole that the second baseman scoops up and throws to first and the guy scoring like like getting his guys to like being like fist pumping going down the line like hell yeah like i just i just did something that was great and it was a 48 mile an hour ground ball to the second baseman like anytime that you can connect the dots between between sinking your identity or, or or revolving your identity around ways to score runs and be productive for the team and and correlate that to how that benefits each guy individually man it's a win and and so really doing a good job of that and and 
and getting our guys to to really train hard at at knowing what they're good at and what their identity is within our offense is really important for us. I want to talk about goals for this team. You just finished a nine game road stretch, really challenging stretch. You're coming up on conference play, but intermixed, you have more midweeks against Coastal Carolina, Duke, UNC, East Carolina. You have really scattered some very likely tournament teams throughout this schedule. So philosophically, how do you manage alternating between conference games, which obviously matter, obviously are important, and these really high-key, marquee matchups in the midweek? It's like such coach speak, but it's really the truth, man. Like, is you just you just try to play the game that's right there in front of you, you know? So last night it was like, man, we've got we've got conference opener on Friday. Obviously, having a guy like Cade Keeler as your Friday night guy gives you some leeway with your bullpen in the middle of the week because you you expect for him to go five, six, seven innings and and put you in a position to to win games um, on Friday. So it allows you some some leeway on uh, on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, but literally just trying to play the game right there in front of you, which I think and, and you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. This is my ninth year as a head coach. Like like you can really get swept up and like, well, I don't want to throw this guy because he needs to be fresh for Friday. But this, you know, then Friday you score 12 in the first three innings and you never get to that guy. And you think, dang, man, did I cost myself? a Tuesday night game because I didn't go to this bullpen guy because I wanted him for Friday. And now I didn't even need him for Friday because you never know. You literally never know what's going to happen. And so really just trying to force ourselves into being the best we can be and put ourselves in the best position possible to win the game that's right in front of us um, is, is really important from, from a recruiting standpoint is making sure or trying to make sure that, that we have enough good arms, enough good options to be able to, to handle that schedule um, and, 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 and be able to play as straight up as we possibly can, uh, you know, in, in all four of those games without, you know, running the risk of some of those guys and, and doing some different things. And I think we've done a good enough job of that where, where we feel good about, you know, each game that we're going into. Well, coach, you're a head coach, a manager, probably a sports psychologist at time. You have every, wear every possible hat you can in sports, but Thank you for joining us. Best of luck with the rest of your season. Looking forward to seeing the Camels make a deep run as as they always do in conference tournament play as well as into the NCAA tournament. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to the College Baseball Nation podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Leave a review for us and maybe think about sharing this with a buddy. If you haven't checked out our website, collegebaseball.info is where you can find us on the internet. And our socials are at collegeballnat, Instagram, Twitter, or sometimes active on Reddit, except for when Reddit crashes. But we're, we're find us on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have...